Welcome, and thank you for stopping by Biker Church, Wiley, Texas. Please help us welcome our special guest speaker today. Amen. Amen. Everybody be seated, please. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to have all of y'all in the house of the Lord today. Amen. We've got some old guests back. We've got a new guest today. We've got new people coming and going all the time. Just want to say thank you, God, for the blessings that you've given us. And this morning, as Jimmy's already talked about, Tony started his mentoring program a while back. He's been through all the class sessions that we have here at the church. He's been, if y'all can see his file back here, it looks crazy. <laughs> I give him an assignment and he doubles it, so can't go wrong with that, right? Amen. But this morning, Tony is facing his third time up with y'all. At the end of this time, when he finishes today, the elders and the deacons will meet. We'll discuss what we got to discuss about it, and we'll be bringing him before y'all to ordain. So, next couple of weeks, make sure you're here if you can be. That's a very important part of his transformation. So, y'all be prepared for him. Lend an ear to what he has to say today. Listen closely, and hopefully, he'll teach you something you didn't know. Amen. Okay. Uh, let's pray in. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you to be able to come together and worship today and glorify you, Lord. May you be with those who couldn't be here, those who are, are healing, Lord. Please be with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm on my third time. They say the third time's a charm. So here we are. <laughs> remember when Jesus died on the cross? You remember what happened to the temple? Anybody remember what happened in the temple? The 60-foot-high, the, the four-inch veil was torn, just torn right down the middle when Jesus died and said it was finished. I want to point out to you today that Jesus replaced that veil. J Jesus took that veil. So the veil, the purpose of the veil was to separate man, specifically the high priest, but man from God. The temple is where God presented himself once a year in the Holy of Holies, and it was separated by that veil. When Jesus tore that veil, he replaced it. Last time we were together, uh, we mentioned, uh, I'm going to read from John 14, 6. <clears throat> it says, Jesus said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had really known me, you would have also known my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus has taken the place of the veil. The only way to God now is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the holy, living temple of God. He was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. He took the place of the temple. Now the temple is going to stand for about 30 plus years. The Romans are going to level it. 
to the ground. And all that's going to be left is Jesus. <clears throat> so let's go <clears throat> look at some scripture that talks about Jesus as the temple. Let's go to John 2, 18 through 22. Give me an amen when you get there. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Well, I didn't get an amen yet. Sorry. Amen. All right. When Jesus was in, in the temple... He basically was pretty angry at what was going on in the temple, all the money changers and the uh, people that were making money and profit off the Israelites. And he basically started exhibiting some righteous anger, flipping over tables, calling them out, calling them thieves. Why would you make God's house a den of thieves? In that, they retorted Jesus. Did I say go to John 2, 18? Okay. Jesus replied to them. Jesus replied and said, or they asked him, what can you show us as proof your authority for doing these things? What authority do you have to tell us what to do in the temple? They obviously did not know that he was the living temple of God. And they're asking him, under what authority do you have to do this? <laughs> and he replies, he says, <clears throat> Jesus answers them and says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Kind of a cryptic answer. How could he possibly raise a temple that took 46 plus years to build? and he's going to raise it up in three days. Of course, his cryptic answer was that he is the temple of God. He is the temple. He's the living temple. And that's how they replied, and that's verse 20, 21. In 21, he says, he's speaking of the temple, which is his body. So when he had risen from the dead, his di disciples will remember what he had said on that day. His own disciples didn't understand what he was talking about. So what are you saying, Jesus? We don't understand how, how you're going to raise it in three days. <clears throat> His disciples then believed and trusted in and relied on the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So it, kind of a hindsight thing. Heinz, it, and also, Jesus also prophesied the destruction of the actual temple. If you go to Mark 13, 1 through 12... Give me an amen when you get there. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, thanks. I'm breathing heavy. All right. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> I'm alive. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Thank you. So I'm going to go ahead and read. As he was leaving the temple, one of his 
one of his disciples said, look, teacher, what a massive, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings we have here. And they're coming out of Israel, and they're heading toward the Mount of Olives, which is on the eastern side of Israel. So they're strolling along, and they're saying, wow, look at how beautiful this place is. Look at these massive stones. Look at this massive temple that glistened in, in the sunlight. It probably looks so magnificent from the outside as well as inside. So they're saying, do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will left, be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. This beautiful, magnificent complex, this, this house of God where God appears every year is going to be leveled to the ground. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives, of course, was raised where they can overlook this beautiful complex. They could overlook the whole Temple Mount and the Temple Complex there. Now, this temple was rebuilt by Herod, and probably one of the most magnificent temples. They're overlooking it, and they say, hey, Jesus, um, Peter, James, and John, Andrew, ask him privately, hey, Jesus, tell us, when will these things happen? When? And what will be the sign that they're all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and he will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things happen, must happen. And in the end, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes, various places, famines. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at a time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Amen. So Jesus prophesies the actual destruction of the temple. And he also cryptically answers that he is the temple. Jesus not only replaced the veil, he replaced the entire temple. He is the temple of God. So let's go read in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Thank you. Yes, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, please. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to read. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. (laughs) 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So this is saying that Jesus is the temple. He is the holy temple. And the very next statement, the next verse, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which, which God lives by the Spirit. So not only is Jesus the temple of God, he wants you to be a vessel of God as well. He wants you to be the vessel. Well, some of us will be the tabernacle, <laughs> but it's going to be uh, God's plan, and this is actually God's plan of salvation. To be built together, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit in you. God wants you to be a total indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that includes the Father and the Son, the full triune God. So God's plan of salvation is it's everything. It, it affects everything in your life. J.R. was talking about his brother coming to Christ. When you come to Christ, it, it impacts everything in your life. Everything you think, the way you act, the way you feel, everything is, is it's such a broad scope and what Christ is going to do in our lives. <clears throat> So this plan that God has to make us a vessel of God is one of the many things, one of the many gifts that God does to us when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. So in this plan, God is basically going to do, re replace the temple even further. So Jesus Christ replaced the veil. Jesus Christ is the indwelling of God and man. He has to do the same things they did in the temple to receive God. So in the temple, for the high priest once a year to receive God, it was during the holiest holiday, and still is. They still have a holiday of atonement. So that's just one thing that God has to do to make us a vessel. And in the plan of salvation, he's going to achieve that. Salvation is whose? Who's responsible for salvation, for our salvation? It's God. It's the work of God. <clears throat> so let's first look, what is salvation? What does salvation mean itself? Salvation is probably the most theological word in the world, I think there's so many religions out there, and there's even so many denominations that can't agree on how that occurs. Salvation simply means to save. Salvation means save. And that's it. The most simplest form. So that is probably the plainest definition as well. Salvation also means deliverance from danger or difficulty. A more biblical 
plain definition, would be deliverance from the power and effects of sin. That's why God sent Jesus down here, and the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is God's answer to the sin problem. So in the Old Testament, salvation sometimes meant a physical restoration, like Noah. Noah built an ark because he was faithful to God. He built an ark which saved his entire family. It also saved every species of animal on the planet because of the salvation he received. Also, Joseph, for example, was sold into slavery, and his rise of power in Egypt, he was saved, saved all of Israel, because during the famine, Joseph saved his family, Jacob and all his brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery, right? What a nice brother. <laughs> Old Testament salvation dealt with sin as well through the judges and prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah. We, we learn about them. Old Testament salvation was primarily for the Jews. There were some exceptions. Rahab and Jericho, she was the one who helped the expedition of ten in the book of Judges who came in to scout the land to take Canaan. She, she offered them refuge. She was saved. She had to hang the scarlet thread, right, in her window. That's salvation. Also, during the time of Jesus' ministry, the the woman who touched the, the hem of his robe. And he said, I, leave me alone, woman. I can't be bothered with you. And she replied, even, even the dogs appreciate scraps off their master's table. And because of her faithfulness, she was healed. You remember that story. So salvation is throughout. It's, it's, salvation is throughout the Old and New Testament of the Bible. Even a Roman centurion asked Jesus to cure, to heal someone in his family. I think it was his son. He said, Jesus, Master, can you heal my son? And he says, yes, I'll go to him now. And the centurion said, no, just command it, command it. The centurion, a Roman centurion is a commander. He has the life and death of his soldiers at his hand. He understand, understood Jesus better than anybody, and Jesus even claimed he was the most faithful man he met, <laughs> a Roman centurion. <clears throat> so there is a lot of good news in the gospel. Jesus died for everyone, for everyone, Jews, Gentiles alike. Many people in the church today either state or ask, you know, are you saved? Are you saved? Have you heard that question before? Have you ever visited a church and asked you if you're saved? I would love it if they asked, where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Your relationship with Jesus Christ. That would be, to me, a refreshing question to have. Salvation is an act of God that's an overriding theme throughout the entire Bible. Since the completed work of Christ, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, salvation is a process from beginning to end. Jesus made this salvation possible. 
And it's far greater than the Old Testament could ever provide in the New Testament. What Jesus did on the cross, what he did on this cross, provides a, a process that takes us from a sinner, he meets us where we're at, and he's going to take us all the way to heaven, to seat with the third heaven with him and him with the Father. That is what Christ did. That is the salvation we have an opportunity to receive. So this salvation, <clears throat> as I mentioned in the previous scriptures, is, is, is done in stages, multiple stages. And these stages are built upon each other like a pyramid, like you see in the ancient Egyptian pyramids. They're wide at the bottom and they build up. Each stage will take us to a new level in Christ and in God. This is designed so that you will be a dwelling place for God in you. You are going to be a dwelling place for God. That's what it's designed to do. People like to say, I've been washed in the blood of Christ. But guess what? He's moving in. He's moving in. He, he's basically, he's kind of like your mother-in-law. She comes to move in. He can only, he has standards for his living situations. He's going to move into you, but he has to clean out some junk. <laughs> How does God make this happen? How does God do this? It starts when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. A lot of theology here again. <laughs> when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is going to send the Holy Spirit to you. He's going to send you gifts. He's going to send you wisdom, understanding, counseling, fortitude. He's going to send you all the gifts. Now, everybody likes to hear love, peace, and joy, but that's the fruit. He wants you to use the gifts that bears the fruit. So when, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I think of Romans 10, 9. You don't have to go there. But that's when you believe in your heart. You believe in your heart and you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. That is the beginning of your journey of salvation. It's not a simple believism where you believe it and it happens instantly. It's the beginning of a journey. This journey is fueled like you're going on a trip. You have to buy gasoline, right? Well, this journey is fueled by your faith. Your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that he was born, died, resurrected for you, for your life. That is your fuel in your journey on your salvation. So when Jesus, oh, let me pick this up. So when we're saved and we, we, we receive 
the Holy Spirit in us, <clears throat> there's many things, many gifts that God brings you to start your journey. And the first thing he has to do, as I was saying earlier, he has to deal with your past. He has to get rid of your junk. The Holy Spirit's coming in. He's going to move in your heart. He's going to move in with your spirit. He's got to remove some things. What he's going to do is he's going to deal with your past. He's going to take away all your past. He's going to remove everything that was your past sins. He's going to remove them. He's going to cast your sins as far as the east is the east, the west is to the west. He's going to do this, and I'm going to throw a lot of terms at you. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to redeem you. He's going to wash you in his blood, and he's going to take all your sins, and he's going to wash them away. He's going to wash you clean. He has to do this. Why? Because he's not compatible with sin. God, even through the work of Christ, sin to God, he cannot dwell in you if you have sins from your past. He's going to wash those away. Those are gone. He's not going to remember them anymore. They're gone. They're done. Just like when he died on the cross. He's done. Then he's going to do an amazing thing while you're still a sinner. God doesn't wait for you to be perfect. He doesn't wait for you to be, I don't know, how would you describe it? Uh, he doesn't wait for you to be a do-gooder or the perfect Christian. He meets you where you're at in the middle of your sin. While you are a sinner, he's going to come and he's going to justify you. Now, it's a legal term, so if you think about it, God has washed your sins away, you have no more sin, then he's going to immediately justify you. He's going to make you guiltless of that sin. You're no longer guilty. You're now innocent. He makes you guiltless. And this is all before he moves in. But you're still a sinner. We're still in our flesh. So now God deems you. It's like you're certified as a person of righteousness, even while you are a sinner. God is able to do this because he's able to put the cart before the horse. Before you are righteous, he's claiming you as righteous. And he can do this because in justification, when he was on the cross, he was guilty. He received the guilty plea. Since he was guilty, he can stand in for you as guiltless. And again, this is by faith alone. This isn't by works. There's nothing you can do to relieve your guilt. So no matter how guilty you are, no matter what sin you have, there's nothing you can do by works. Jesus Christ will stand in for you and justify you as righteous without any guilt. You're guilt-free. Did you wish all attorneys were like that? <laughs>
I'd hire him. <laughs> yeah, so he, he sees you as, as righteous, justified. So that is your past. Whatever you did in the past, forget about it. Well, that's a little bit easier said than done, isn't it? Well, if God didn't want you to remember it, I think he would have wiped it away as well. He's not going to remember it. So why does he allow us to remember our past? How about testimony? What's our testimony? Yeah, so God doesn't wipe away our memory because he's now washed our sins away. He's not going to remember it. He's not going to even see you as guilty anymore. He's going to see you fully justified, fully righteous. Because he's getting ready to move in. <clears throat> now that's our past. Now present. God has, has taken care of our past. Now we're present. We're in the present. When you come up for salvation, you're asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior now. So it's in the present. Now because he's wiped away your sins and he's justified you, are you still a sinner? Yeah, yes you are. God doesn't necessarily, God saves the lost. We will always be sinners. It doesn't change. I stand before you as a sinner, and you sit before me as a bunch of sinners. <laughs> There's no difference. But now, I have Christ who stands in for me, who justifies me. I'm justified as righteous in the eyes of God because he's building me as a vessel. In the present, <clears throat> now that I've been redeemed and justified, God is going to deal with my present condition. Of course, he's going to transform me, but it might take a while. Are we, we're transformed in the spirit. Instantly, our spirit is transformed. But unfortunately, God has given us a fierce independence and will that we've got to kill. We've got to die to our will, just like Christ died on the cross. We are fiercely independent. Why? Because God created us that way. J.R. talks about cats. I don't see cats, I see lions here. <laughs> I see tigers here. I don't see just ordinary cats. Maybe a saber tooth is in there too. I don't know. I don't want to find out. So, yeah. So, in our present time, we it's, again, a process building up. So, in our present, God is going to continue to justify us. He has to continue to justify us. We have to be continuously justified by Christ. Our faith in Christ is what continues the fuel for our salvation. We have got to keep, like I said in my last sermon, there's nothing more valuable in this life than your faith in Christ. <clears throat> so, in the present, justification is still, we still need that justification. He's going to also bring atonement, atonement to us. 
Now, I mention atonement because it ties to the, to the temple. Atonement is the holiday where God comes down, a holy day, the holiest of holies, is where God came into the temple and he appeared before the highest priest. That's the only time of the year where man can be with God. So this atonement that is our gift during our salvation is basically enables us to be in the presence of God. It's the same thing. The blood of Christ gives us this atonement as if they did in the temple through the veil. Our faith in Christ enables us to go through the veil to be in the presence of God. And if we're justified and we're redeemed, we'll live. Just like in the temple. If you weren't cleansed and went through the rituals in the temple, what would happen if you went in the holiest of holies? Right. So what did they do to the high priest before he went in? Tied a rope around his legs so they can yank him out, right, if he died. Okay. So the atonement in the, in the Old Testament and even Judaism today, they talk about atonement. Yom Kippur is the atonement holiday. We don't need it. We have atonement now, every day, every minute. It's continuous. God atones us. We can be in his presence. He could move in now. <laughs> he could live in your heart. Jesus Christ is with you now. But not only Jesus Christ, you get the whole triune God. You get the Holy Spirit. You get the Father and the Son in you. <clears throat> Atonement in the New Testament, as we'll see, I would like to go preach on these in a future, each one of these, go through each one individually. But atonement has been replaced in the New Testament or interchanged with the word reconcile, reconciliation. We don't use the word atonement anymore because we don't need it as, as, the Jude, as they do in Judaism. We have reconciled with God. So what Jesus did when he tore the veil, he allowed God's love to pour out on us. There's nothing stopping it anymore. Whether you believe or not, God's love is pouring out on everyone, whether you've been saved or not. God's love is just pouring out. Now, for us to receive God, or for us to reconcile with God, it's a two-way street. He's done everything possible on this cross. Could he do anything more? He gave his son. Is there anything more he could have done? That is love. The gospel is a love story. God's love for us. There's nothing more, nothing more he can done. I would never give my son up to save my enemies. I would never do that. I couldn't do that. But then again, God's wisdom is greater than any, any man's wisdom. So that's atonement. Now God has moved in. The veil's been torn. God's love is pouring out. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe it in your heart? Have you confessed it with your lips? Did J.R. Dunkey in the trial? 
Did he stop the bubbles from coming out? Do you believe? So now, God in the present, this is still in the present. God is then going to make you holy. He wants to make you holy. So he wants to make you as he claimed you when you were justified. He justifies you as holy. But you're not. So now that he's indwelling in you, he wants to sanctify you. He wants you to be made holy. How does he do that? Well, through the Holy Spirit, he's going to train you. You're going to read this. This is his sword. You're going to learn how to walk with him. You're going to be JR's favorite word. Oh, he's going to teach you how to be obedient. He's going to teach you how to serve. And because of your salvation, he's going to lead you to works. You're not going to have works for your salvation because it's already been given to you. But because you are saved, you're going to learn how to behave. You're going to learn how to do his good works. Amen. Not for your salvation, but because of your salvation. Because you've been saved is what you're going to learn. Good works. This is sanctification. Sanctification is to make you be holy. He wants to make you holy. Now, this might take more than a lifetime. <laughs> Some people, this is a life work. Did you know this is what you signed up for when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He saved you. Now he wants to be your Lord. You can't have one without the other. <laughs> sanctification is preparation. It's, it's preparation for your future. We haven't gotten to the future yet, but sanctification prepares you not only to do works, how to think, it's it basically how to become holy. But it's going to prepare you for judgment. I know everybody likes that word. But you're going to be judged several times. Your judgment is going to happen whether you're going to heaven or hell. Wherever you go, it's going to be for eternity. Whatever direction you go, like we used to learn the smoking or non-smoking section, <laughs> wherever you go, you're going to be judged. Sanctification prepares you for judgment. Where are you going to go when you die? When you die, And when you get there, you're going to be judged again anyways. What are you going to be judged on? Anybody know? You're judged on what you do with God's gifts. What have you done with the gifts that God has given you? What have you done with the power of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit brings you many gifts. And you get fruit. What are your fruit? God is going to look at you and he's going to judge you. Period. 
every knee will bow before God. So that is what sanctification does. It prepares us, prepares us for the future. It makes us holy. So in the future is judgment and also is the final stage of salvation. God is putting you on this journey for a destination. Where do you want to go? Where are you going? Heaven. The final stage of salvation is eternity with God in heaven, and it is your body that gets glorified. You actually get an imperishable body and you're glorified. And that is the final destination of salvation. Unfortunately, many will not have faith. This wonderful gift that God has given us, we can't earn it, we can't work for it. He's given us this wonderful gift. We're going to be judged for how we use it, for what he's given us. What have we done with it? Many will not have faith. And if we go to, let's go to Matthew 7. I don't know where yet. Matthew 7, let's just go there. There's so much wisdom there. It's, it's truly, it's Jesus' sermon, Matthew 7. It's, uh, yeah, let's just go there. Give me an amen. Thank you. In Matthew 7, it's just awesome. This is everything God, everything God would, would ever imagine we could be sanctified to do is here in this chapter. Uh, let's start at uh, the beginning, I guess. Verse 1, do not judge, you'll be judged. The same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it'll be measured against you. It's just an awesome chapter. Um, let's go to 13. I'll, I'll read it. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. That is the, probably the saddest part of the Bible. If there, was, if there was a bad news in the Bible, that would be it. The gospel is the good news, but the bad news is most people won't receive it. It's very sad. Um, I'm going to close. I'm running out of time. <laughs> it's like my Sunday school class. Um, please come up if anybody needs Christ today, if you need the Holy Spirit to get through, if you've had faith and you're struggling and you need the Lord to help you get through something, please come up. Um, let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, um, Please help us see who you are. Please um, send the Holy Spirit to us. Rain down your love, Lord. 
um, everything your son has done for us, Lord. We pray that we can receive it and um, be glorified and glorify you, Lord. Pray that we can um, reach others who don't know you, who, who need to know that uh, what your son has done for us. And he's holding out his hand uh, to everyone, Lord, everyone, no matter who it is, all peoples, no matter uh, if they're in sin or even the saved, Lord, need you. We still need you every day, Lord. Um, if anyone in here is in need, please come up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today is a perfect day for you. If you are right with God and you've got God in your heart, you've been living the life of a Christian person. But we all know, like Tony said, it's an ongoing process. We try. We try very hard, don't we? But we fail. That's right. Every day. And sometimes we just need to come to God and say, God, I messed up. Again. I need your help to get back on the right track. So I'm going to offer you one last chance today. That if you are in that position and you have things like that going on in your life, come on up to the altars and release it. Turn it over to Christ this morning. Let him know that you love him, that you are saved, and that you do care about him. And if you're not saved, you definitely need to come up here and turn your life over to Christ. Because there's no guarantee for tomorrow. There's not even a guarantee for five minutes from now. Right. Okay. Amen. So, Tony, you did a great job, bro. If you do make a decision this morning, you want to change your life, let us know before we leave today. We'll pray with you. We'll get that going for you. Okay? Let us. Les, you back there? We're taking a nap, man. Wake up. Church, brothers and sisters, we're all together here listening to the good word of God. Amen. God has equipped all of us with all we need to follow him. So if we just be obedient and do good, we might get to heaven, not we go to hell. Now, let me know. Let me Thank you for joining us today. If you have prayer requests or need to contact us, please email us at bikerchurchwileytexas at gmail.com or call 214-283-0620. Please send all written correspondence to 303 Highway 78, Suite 103, Wiley, Texas 75098. And if you wish to make a donation, please make all checks payable to PSMM. God bless you and have a great day.